You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue our series through the book of Philippians as Pastor Josh walks us through chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. As we hear God's word, we pray that he will show us more of himself and do the work in us he wants to today. Well, guys, I am so glad that you are here today, and I hope that you are here for the long haul. Some, some of you, uh, you maybe just stumbled upon something happening at the park, and you said, I'm going to see what that's all about. Let me give you a quick rundown of what our day is going to look like today, okay? So, so we have our great worship service this morning. I'm thankful that we get to enjoy that with one another. Uh, when this wraps up, shortly after, we're going to make our way this way, uh, whether it's over the bridge or over the giant river in between, uh, and we are going to make our way over there to those tents where our lunch is going to be provided. Uh, and then around 2 o'clock today, from 2 to 6, we're going to have our festival across this entire park. Okay, so we'd love for you to to know that that's going on. Uh, Pastor Roland Hall is going to come at the end of the service to give us more detailed instruction. But before we jump in, as you can imagine, to pull off something like this of this magnitude takes months and months of preparation and prayer and many, many, many volunteers. Can we praise God for what he is doing today and give thanks for the volunteers who have allowed this thing to be pulled off today? We are so, so thankful for that. And as we jump into the text today, uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians 1 verses 9 through 11 is our text for today. Um, But as you are turning there, there's a question that, that I don't think that you have to begin thinking about. No doubt this has been close to your heart as long as you've been able to consider your life. And here, here is that question. Why, if, if, if we are created to love God and to be with God, like, like it, it, is, it is in God's will for us to know him and to enjoy him forever, why, why not if when we are saved, does God not bring us home to glory? Right? So, so what, what is the purpose that we as Christians have here and now in this day after we've been saved, but prior to our home going, what are we supposed to do with that time in between? Well, as you know, God has called us to a great task. And much of what we're going to talk about today is, is simply going to be by way of reminder, but I want to do just that. And I want to remind us of God's goodness and plan for our life. Now, if you are following along at Broadmoor, we are in week three of our study through the book of Philippians. But if today's day one for you, and and you are jumping in in verse nine, let me catch you up pretty quickly, okay? So the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. And he writes this letter from a Roman prison. And as he is writing, he's written a couple of other letters as well, right? So he writes uh, to, to Philemon, who is one of the faithful brother pastors who is leading a congregation. He writes to the church at Colossae, which is where we get the letter of Colossians. Uh, we get the, the letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. That's the, the book of Ephesians. And then we get this letter. We get the letter to the church at Philippi, or the, the book of Philippians. And in this letter, it is different than anything else the Apostle Paul writes, for everything about this letter is of encouragement. He wants them to know how dearly loved they are, not just by God, but by him and all the brothers and sisters who are around the world continuing to advance the gospel. 
And it's because they have partnered with the Apostle Paul and other missionaries in this venture of taking the gospel to the nations. Now, you've got to know a lot about the church at Philippi. They, they although are in Greece, where modern-day Greece today, they are heavily Roman in this culture, as Paul writes. And so what we looked at week one of this study, just to get an understanding, we went back and read Romans chapter 1. Like, like, again, this isn't a very Christian-friendly society, but it is a society that we find the people of Christ flourishing, flourishing in their walk with the Lord. And so Paul commends them and says, look, you guys are doing it, and I want you to continue on. Now, as we look to today, we see in this happy letter, Paul is going to spend a prayer. Now, if you know anything about New Testament writing, I'm going to give you some some seminary knowledge. You can take it or leave it. But Paul writes in the most run-on sentences that we've ever known. And so we find sometimes entire chapters that are just legitimately one sentence in Greek. And so today, we are going to look at a passage of Scripture, verses 9 through 11, but it's really just one sentence. And it's one sentence that is going to bring encouragement to first century Christians in a city that is ready for the gospel of Christ to be preached. Now, let me tell you where that applies here. Now, I don't believe that we are heavily Roman in our culture. But I do believe that our city not only is ready to hear the gospel, I believe that we have opportunity like we've never had before to proclaim that gospel. I believe that we have leadership in place. I believe that we have brothers and sisters uh, strategically planted all around the city that the gospel, when it unfolds, is going to do so in a great and mighty way. As we look out today, hear me out. I wouldn't even assume to guess how many thousands of people who are here today at this at this, this meeting. But we did a study not too long ago, and we looked at it, and we went Broadmoor, and we put a pin right in the middle, and we drew a circle around Broadmoor Baptist Church. Ten miles in that area, we looked at the demographics. What, what would people say that they believe in that circle? Okay? So, so I'm not talking about another country. I'm not talking about another area of the United States. This is ten miles around Broadmoor Baptist Church. And what we found was pretty staggering, but, but maybe not to you. It was to me that 62% of the people who live in that 10-mile radius would claim to have no religious affiliation. They, they're called nuns, according to, to the demographic data. Not N-U-Ns, but N-O-N-E-S. Meaning when asked, what religious affiliation do you have? What, what church do you belong to? What denomination are you? They would say, None. I have no affiliation. I have no tie. And so I don't want you to hear that and say, oh man, that's so sad. Hear me out. The gospel is ready to go forth in this city. We have a great opportunity that stands before us, church. And I use that big C. That we are all, no matter what church body you come from, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are a big C church together. We have one Lord, we have one mission, and we have one purpose, and that is to bring him glory and to bring good to those that are around us. Now, with that, there is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for the church in the first century that I believe is so applicable to us today. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to look at Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. This is the words of the Apostle Paul. And it is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And as we do each week uh, in our preaching, we, we generally go line by line, verse by verse, word for word. And so let's break this down just a little bit in verse 9, for this is incredibly powerful in Paul's praying. Paul says, I want your love... To, to do something. I want it to abound more and more with, with knowledge and all discernment. But the word love here is unique. Now, if you've spent much time in, in Christian Bible study, uh, more than likely you've come across a study of the word love. That knowing in the New Testament there are four words that, that, that mean the word, our English word love. And the word we look at today is called agape. And that, that is the, the God-sized love or the God-type love. And it is here that we understand that this type of love puts others before yourself. Or it is a very selfless love. And so what the Apostle Paul is praying for this first century church in the midst of a very non-churched culture is this. I want your love to be what you're known for. I want the way in which you treat people to be the hallmark of the faith that you proclaim. And I want it to be the kind of love in the way that God loves you. And so he says, I want your agape to abound, to overflow continually more and more at all times and all places. And he says this, I want it to be with knowledge and all discernment. This word knowledge is this idea of fully or complete understanding of those that are around you. And all discernment is, is this idea of understanding the difference between right and wrong. So, so hear me out. When, when Paul writes this first verse, here's essentially what he's saying to people who are desperate to hear a word from God. I want you to love people, but you can't love them until you know them. And once you get to know them, I want you to cling to the truth that God has already given to you. And I want you to invite them to walk in that truth with you. And so here's what I know after being someone who has lived in Madison for almost four years. We love good community. We love a good tailgate. We love to eat. We love, we love all the things get together. And so let me encourage you. Don't think that that is something that is not designed by God in you. God created us for community. God created us to do life together. But in that, hear me out. It is for a purpose. Every time we gather, not just on Sunday morning in our buildings or in the park on a special day, but any time we gather should be for God's glory and for the good of those that are around us. And so Paul says, I want you to be filled with knowledge of all those that you are around. Paul says that when God's people do that, when they, when they live like that, something glorious happens. Not just for the individual Christ follower. But for all of God's people, look at verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, when God's people come together and do life together with purpose for living out that agape, that, that love of God, they're able to know and to approve, to give their stamp of, I'm going to be a part of this, of what is excellent. They're able to know and approve of what matters most right here and right now as they live for what matters most. They're then able to laser focus that type of living until Christ comes back. Now, to, to be clear, I want, I want to be crystal clear. When it says pure and blameless, it does not mean that they don't make mistakes. Everybody here makes mistakes. 
Everybody, God, God's word tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So when it says pure and blameless, it's not that we are going to be sinless, but to be pure and blameless in the sense that this is already who you are in Christ. This is our new identity. And this is how we should be living out this new identity, this eternal identity with one another. And here's the amazing part. Not only are God's people called to do life together, to love with knowledge and all discernment. Not only are they to live out their new identity in Christ, but Paul prays that they would be, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now again, Greek language is a lot of fun whenever you dive into it. And so when you look at the very first word of verse 11, it says filled. And, and the, the imagery that we get here is, is, is as if it were a cup or a vessel that's not just a little bit filled up, not even just to the top filled, but this idea of filled being overflowing. Like it is under a source that continues on and on and on. And so what he says, when we live this way, he's praying that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Another word for righteousness, a way that we would probably better understand that is rightness. Like, like how do we know what's right and wrong? How do we know to, to how we're supposed to live in a way that is most honoring to God and good for those that are around us? Well, church, we need each other. We need the word of God to guide us, but we also need the people of God to encourage us. Now, I'm not going to, to ask you to raise your hand in this moment, but I do want you to consider it. How many times have you known what was right, but because of the pressure that was around you, you chose not to do what was right? Or you found yourself straying from what you knew was right, and therefore guilt and shame began to flood into your life. But then, when you surrounded yourself with people who believed the same way that you did, who live for the same glory that you live for. How did your life change then? You then knew what was right, and then you walked in that rightness. You walked in that righteousness. And so when we understand what Paul is praying for here to a Christian community who, hear me out, is small, but they are growing every day. Paul says, you need, you need to understand you, are, you have an eternal identity that comes only from Christ. But you also have God's help in the people that are around you. You have brothers and sisters who know what's right as well. They're filled with the Spirit as well. And they are here to walk alongside you. Church, we need each other. I think it's this, that, that when we think about the Christian life, this is what we desire more than most things. While we're on this side of eternity, we, we want to live and do right. We want to, to live with deep passion. We want to have a, a solid purpose about our life. A life that is clear and life-giving direction. A life that says to God and his creation, I love you with all that I am. But in the middle of verse 11, Paul gives the answer to the only thing that will make that possible. He says it comes through Jesus Christ. See, our, 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 our church, church our, our heart's desire is nothing more than to, to love well and be loved well. To make sure that, that our community around us is meaningful. To know truth, to know right and wrong, to help others know truth as well. 
to live our lives with deep passion and great purpose. But none of these things can be done outside the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I know if you've been to church longer than three seconds, you hear that name thrown out a lot. But hear me out. It is the power by which we live our lives. Hey, what's the greatest commandment? Do you guys remember? Jesus was asked, hey, what, what is above all the, all the things that Moses talked about, of all the things that God gave to Moses and Moses gave to the people, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's to love God. But then Jesus adds something in Matthew 22. He says, but the second is just like it. Meaning that what I'm about to say is on same ground as the first one. So you're to love God and you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is where we get the idea of love God and love people. This is the greatest commandment that God has given to his people. Hear me out. This is the greatest purpose for us to live out every day. And you may sit here and say, Josh, no, no, no. Hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. No, no, hear me out. Those are just your platforms to love God and to love people. You, you may say, well, well I'm just a, a mom or a dad or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle. No, listen to me. That's just a platform to raise your family to love God and to love people. But we will never be able to fully do that, to rightly do that until... Jesus Christ is the center of our life until we surrender all that we are and all that we have to him and allow him to take complete control of our life. When God speaks to the people in the Old Testament through Moses and he gives them just the, the heart of the Shema or the heart of, of their everyday life, and it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, and I have another one that's just as powerful, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. That's not just a suggestion for a pretty decent life. This is the DNA for a life that is going to be most honoring to him, most good for those that are around us, and hear me out, most fulfilling for us in our everyday walk. This is what we are created to do to love God, and to love people. But it's only through Christ that we will ever be able to do that. It is only through Christ that we will ever be able to live out our created design. But our lives led through Jesus Christ, Paul says, is going to bring glory and praise to God. And that's exactly what we desire more than anything else. So as our worship team comes back up to the stage, and as we get ready to, to respond, and, and hear me out, here's what our response is going to look like today. We will certainly have people available if, if you want to pray with them, find anybody with an orange shirt, they would love to pray with you. But we are going to sing a song, and we are going to spend some moments together as we pray with one another. As we sing and declare truths back to God, individually and collectively, I want to encourage you to consider something. If we are called to love God and to love people, like, like that is our calling above everything else, and you would say, Joshua, what about the Great Commission? No, no, we are called to go and make disciples. But what are we doing in that? We are loving God and we are loving people. All right? 
How's that going with the platform that God has trusted to you? Take, take whatever, whatever occupation you have, whatever, whatever you do to, to make a living for you and your family. Do you love God and love people through it? Is it a platform in which you stand by the way in which you live your life, by the way in which you conduct your business? Is it a way in which you love God and love those that are around you? If yes, give God glory for that in this time of response. If not, it's time to change those ways. It's time, and maybe, maybe you're here today and you know exactly what you need to do to change, but maybe you don't. And so in that, I want to encourage you just to surrender that to the Lord Jesus and say to him, Lord, this, this is my life. I don't know what to do with it. I don't believe I'm loving you like I should or loving those around me like I should, but I want you to have it. Maybe it's not an occupational thing. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe you look at the way in which you parent or grandparent or the way in which you come alongside those who are around you, the way in which you, you friend and do community. Do you love God and love people well in that? If yes, praise him. If not, surrender that to him. Here, here's, my, here's my encouragement. As we continue to study through this incredible letter, we're going to see the apostle Paul call these believers to action not in a society that's easy to do so, but in a society that's ready for what God has for them and God's gonna use them in a mighty and powerful way. Madison, Mississippi, I believe God is going to use us, continue to use us in a mighty and powerful way. But I don't believe he will until we are fully surrendered to him. And so whatever platform you have, Whatever life God has trusted to you, my encouragement to you today is this. Come together and say to him, Lord Jesus, here I am, all of me, and I surrender it to you alone. It is in that way that we give him all the glory. That we resign in ourselves, that we are going to agape those that are around us. We're going to love the people around us in a way that puts them ahead of us. Because at the end of the day, we want believers to be encouraged and we want the lost to be saved. At the end of the day, we are dead in our sin, but we are alive in Christ. We don't need to be the front. We don't need to be the center. We certainly don't need to be on the throne. We give glory and honor to the one who is. Therefore, Jesus, our lives belong to you. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for our time today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that we receive through it every time we read it. But especially when we come together in corporate worship settings, whether we are in a building or we're out in the middle of a street, God, we know that your word changes us. It breathes life into our dead bodies. God, it builds us up and encourages us. It, it gives us correction where we need it. And so, Lord, today, I pray for our great city. I pray for the opportunity that we have in this city. God, we are not the center of this life or this universe. Father, you are. At the end of time, there is only one sitting on the throne, and it is not us. So right now, Father, help us make the decision to surrender our lives as they are, just as we are, completely and totally to you. Oh, Jesus, we love you. And it's in your powerful name that we pray.
And we now stand and respond. Church family, would you stand and sing this response with us this morning?